Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. By this point in the story of the people of God, they had seen the power of the one true God in ways far too numerous and far too obvious to deny. Moses' life began in a kingdom of genocide with Israelite babies being murdered. But Moses, the story says, was saved miraculously and put in a basket onto the Nile for a life of great purpose. Growing up, Moses' people were slaves in Egypt, but Moses was called miraculously by God to rescue them. Can you imagine what it would be like for the God of the universe to speak to you from a blazing shrub? You're outside just doing your gardening, and all of a sudden the the, the flowers start bursting into flames? And you hear a voice come out that says, take off your shoes. You're like, honey, the hibiscus is talking to us again. Like, we got to move. But this was Moses' call. And at this point in the story, Moses was called to lead the people miraculously out of Egypt. The whole nation saw as God performed progressively larger miracles by Moses' hand. He turned water to blood. There were locusts over the kingdom. There was darkness over all the land. And all of it because Pharaoh had set himself up as a god over the people. And he was using his power as God to oppress them. And God said no more. God patiently invited Pharaoh in Egypt to repent what those plagues were about, but they refused no matter how much it increased. And so all of Israel at this point saw God when they had only the Red Sea in front of them. They saw the sea part and they walked over on dry ground and now they were walking to the land God always promised to set them up as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And all they'd been asked to do by Moses in this moment was to simply wait. At this point, they had had more than enough of seeing God's faithfulness, more than enough of seeing his goodness for a life of complete obedience 
and unshakable joy. So Moses goes up on the mountain of God. And God sums up his heart to Moses and chisels it into ten commandments on stone. And Big Mo takes these with a pep in his step and hope in his heart to go back to the people of God for their inheritance and their future. And everything was going great until he saw it. See, when Moses had gone down, the people had grown restless. I love the way it states it in the story. It says, we don't know what happened to that fellow Moses. I think there's a lesson there for us. It's this, that some of the people today who are enamored by your life and your leadership will exile you tomorrow as that fellow when you stop delivering what they want. And so they say, we don't know where that fellow Moses went, but here's our plan. We want to disregard everything he said. And here's a new plan. Let's collect all of our jewelry and melt it in a fire and make a figurine of a god that we can worship and make up our own rules and go into our own land. And if that's not crazy enough, the story says that Moses' brother Aaron, who was leading the people, did it. So here's Moses standing, holding the, the vision of the faithfulness of God. And the people are throwing a rager. They're drunk, they're feasting, they're dancing, and all of them are bowing down to a livestock figurine as their hope and their future, and Moses comes unglued. The story says that he smashes the tablets. He has to go back up on the mountain. Moses had to have a timeout for 40 days with God to go back up and get the law again from God. But do you know what the first three commands of that law were? Number one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you will make no idol in my image. You will make no representation in your life that you would give the status of God so that you would desire it and pursue it and obey it. Number three, do not take my name in vain. Now, serving as a youth pastor for 20 years, I've had many parents come to their kids or their kids tell me, yeah, my parents told me that that commandment says don't cuss. That's what that means. It says don't say, like, if you say OMG, that's oh my goodness, not oh my God. Because we want to revere the holiness of God. We don't want to take his name in vain. And I want to tell you, that's good advice. That's actually a practice in my home. And that is absolutely not what this commandment is saying. To not take the Lord's name in vain means to not empty his name of its power. To not say, God said something that God did not say. To not disregard his boundaries that he set up for our goodness. To not make our own rules and our own path. To not call sin good. To not follow him like he's an item on an a la carte menu. I'll take Jesus See, when we do this, we empty God's name of its power, of its voice in our life. And whenever we do that, we always empower the voice of another. So I want to talk this morning about what it looks like to live a life that is entirely undiluted before God. 
A life that where our heart is free from any substitute, from any idol. And I want to start with the words of Jesus on another mountain, the Mount of Beatitudes, where he says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Anybody want to see God? So that'd be pretty good. If he gives you one sentence that say, do this and you'll see God, I think that's pretty good, right? That's even better than Ten Commandments. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. And I love this, that phrase, pure in heart, it means unmixed and undiluted. At its full concentration, not watered down, pursuing God with no additives or audibles or substitutions. What does that look like? Well, I want to tell you in our life, I believe there are three key pursuits of what it means to be human. These three things in our life that, are, that sum up what it means to be human. And the needs are this. The pursuit of acceptance. That we desire to be loved and wanted. Success. That we desire to be great and worthy. And satisfaction. We desire to find pleasure and to avoid pain. And I want to tell you that I believe we are created at the deepest point of our being as creatures who were made to be loved and to be great and to be satisfied. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is not psychobabble. Sometimes you start talking about the saying, God made you to be great. And they're like, that just sounds like some liberal psychology that you're putting out there. I'm going to show you, no, instead, it is a great design from a very good God. You were created to be loved, to be great, and to be satisfied. But listen to me. What you do with those desires is the difference between finding your identity and walking in idolatry. You have a burning desire in your heart, and I have a burning desire in my heart to be loved, to be great, to be satisfied. But what we do with those desires is the difference between identity and idolatry. I want to define an idol for us this way this morning. I believe an idol is anything you construct or anything you pursue to secure acceptance, success, or satisfaction for yourself where you were created to receive it from God. I want to say that again. An idol is anything you construct or pursue to secure acceptance, success, or satisfaction for yourself where you were created to receive it from God. And so idolatry happens anytime we make lesser things ultimate thing. Anytime we give finite things the, de- the devotion and the attention that belongs only to the infinite. And so you look in your life and you say, how do I know? How do I know if I'm seeking something that's not undiluted? How do I know if I'm seeking something in my life that's becoming an idol? Let's say, look at what drives your time, your energy, your attention, your affection, your resources, your devotion, and your soul. I would tell you to look at your pursuit, because when something is your rescuer, you chase it. So what are you chasing? I would tell you to examine your decisions, because when something is your master, you obey it. So I would ask, what are you obeying? That's why Jesus said we can't have two masters. You'd be devoted to one, and you'd despise the other. So the big question for us, the million-dollar question is, what are we chasing and what are we obeying in order to be loved and to be great and to be fulfilled? The big idea I want to give you this morning is this. 
that you were created to be loved. You were created to be great. You were created to be satisfied. And you will only rest when you receive these from your creator. You were created to be loved. You were created to be great. You were created to be satisfied. And you will only rest when you receive these from your creator. Please hear me. To expect these desires to subside is subhuman. We don't need to run from them. We need to learn to run to the only one who can satisfy. But until we do that, we will be restless. Because I've watched, I believe that all of humanity has a biggest shared problem. It's that we live beyond our means. When you look at it, we never have enough we're always running to get more. We never have enough time. We're too busy. We're overcommitted. We never have enough money. Look at the statistics. People in debt. We never have enough health. You look at our relationship to food as a society that has led us to overeating and to comfort eating processed foods that our body were never made to digest that is literally poisoning us and giving us chronic sickness. And we know this. We've seen the documentaries. We keep doing it. Feels like we never have enough soul. Our minds are overactive and anxious, and there's always noise running. In short, just like the Israelites in the days of Moses, we are restless. So we're running to be enough. But I want to ask this. Could it be that subconsciously, just like in the days of Moses, we're constructing idols that we're expecting to lead us to some kind of promised land. We know from Moses already where that story is going to end. We know the bad news, but I'd love to give you some good news this morning. Would anybody like some good news? Yes. Somebody say good news. good news. Oh, that was good. It's so good. We're going to say it again. Say good news. good news. Here's the good news. If you're in Christ, you've already arrived to every place you're trying to run to. Somebody get excited. If you are in Christ... You have already, there's a seal in the back. That's awesome. If you are in Christ, you have already arrived to every place you're trying to run to. That's good news. I want to give you better news. Somebody say better news. Better news. The fullness of everything you're chasing, him. And because it's him, you don't ever need to chase it or fulfill it or acquire it. In fact, today he is standing with his arms wide open, ready to fill every place where you want to be loved and great and satisfied. That is good news. So let's dive into this. Number one, you were created to be loved. I love this passage from Romans chapter 8. When the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, he said, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. I love that word, Abba. Abba is not just the band, the classic rock band. Okay, it's more than that. You're like, wow, God's into some good music. The word Abba is the equivalent that melts my heart when I hear it from my nearly 10-year-old princess when she walks in the room with her eyes twinkling and she says, Daddy. And at that point, she's going to get whatever it is she asks for. Abba, Daddy, 
It's an address of tender affection and security and longing. And I love this because when I wrote Life in the Overflow, um, ladies typically have come with Life in the Overflow. We're like, we love it. You say that God is our daddy all over the place. That's like so great. And some guys are like, dude, I honor you. But you got to stop telling me to call God my daddy. That's weird. So for anybody who said, why did you write that? That's weird. I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it. So your spirit is crying out to know God in this tender, affectionate, secure way with this longing. And what's interesting is this. I want you to hear what Paul is saying. He's saying that the entire human race is crying out to be loved. In fact, he goes a little bit further. He says that the whole creation is groaning to be seen and to be adopted like a woman giving birth. All right, now I got to tell you something. I've been in the delivery room four times when my five children were born, and we had twins if you're trying to figure out the math there. And I have to tell you that the groaning of a mother in childbirth is not a casual cry. It does not come out like, hey, it'd be nice if this baby wants to be born today. Today, tomorrow, next week, whatever. I'm just kicking back here in the bed. I've got a thousand channels to watch at the hospital. It's not a casual cry. It's not something that a mom comes together and says, not a big deal. No, this groaning consumes every breath and every thought. This groaning works like a ticking clock that says, this baby has to be born. And I don't know how much longer I can hold out. Listen to me. Your spirit, the real you, is groaning as in pains of childbirth to be seen and held and loved and wanted. And you will run to find it everywhere else until you rest in the arms of the Father that already gives it. You were made to be loved. That's true of every person on every continent for every moment since the beginning of our story. Our most primal need is to be loved. But where we look for love is the difference between identity and idolatry, between slavery and sonship. Proverbs 13, 12. One of these proverbs I quote a lot in my life. It says that hope Deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know what that means? It means when you want something and you pursue it, and again and again it lets you down, at some point your heart becomes sick. It becomes diseased, bitter, and angry, and cynical, and untrusting, and depressed, and insecure, and anxious and afraid. I want to argue to you this morning that our deepest wounds and the root of our greatest sins are birthed when a heart made to be loved drinks from a well that can't satisfy too many times. So what's going on? Why is it that we're so restless? Why does that person run and do that thing? I believe that the root of our greatest sins and the cause of our deepest wounds comes when a heart that was made to be loved drinks from a well, whether they asked for it or not. They can't satisfy too many times. So I ask, what could happen if we stop judging ourselves and judging others by the brand of our sin and our struggle? What could happen if we stop making the headline in somebody's life the flavor of the fruit of their errant behavior? And instead, we saw a person 
who God presently adores, who in that area of their life simply doesn't believe it yet. You see how that changes things? Because it doesn't just change it for them, it changes it for us. I want you to think about you for a second. Are you secure right now that you are loved? When you think about your place in all of creation, are you deeply contented on planet Earth that you're wanted? Or do you find yourself spending your days chasing the approval and the applause of that person, that group, that community? And when they don't see you, it steals your peace and it steals your joy and it angers you. Let me go further. I want to ask the question, where is it that you're terrified to show what's really in your heart because of who might judge you? We talk about fear of conflict. Nobody likes conflict. Nobody likes conflict. Can we write it off? I want to say this to you in love. The fear of conflict is simply a place you're insecure concerning love. That's all the fear of conflict is. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. He says this, if you don't live by the praise of men, you won't die by their criticism. If you don't live by the praise of men, you won't die by their criticism. You and I are commanded to love one another. And we get beautiful relationships here on the earth, don't we? That said, you need to understand this. The only solid rock you've been given to stand on for your worth that you are loved is your creator. Opinions will always waver. One day people will be enamored by you, the next day they will exile you as that fellow. Opinions waver, your security doesn't have to. You and I can be held in God's love even when we're misunderstood, even when we're ignored by the world, but listen to me, if you chase the perspective of people, it will become an idol that will make your heart sick. You were made to be loved. And praise God, you were created in love, from love, for love, by the God whose name is love. We were created to be loved. But it's not just that. You were created to be great. Two disciples stood on the road with Jesus arguing about which would be the greatest. At one point, it got so bad, they even got Mama involved in the discussion. She came to Jesus to ask, that, that he would have them sit on his left and right, the positions of greatest authority in his kingdom. You know what I find interesting about this whole exchange? Jesus never rebukes the question. Jesus didn't say, that's an evil desire to desire to be great. You should be dirt. I'm the sun, you're just a ball of dirt, the moon that reflects me. And while that's a beautiful sentiment, here Jesus could have said that. He could have said, you're just dirt. You're just nothing. You're just a worm. Stop talking about being great. You have delusions of grandeur. He didn't say that. Instead, he shared with them what true greatness actually looked like. Seven times in the Gospels, this subject of us being great shows up, the number of completeness. I want to tell you this morning, I don't believe that our problem is our desire to be great. I believe it's two opposing attitudes that most followers of God hold about greatness that is holding us in shackles. The first I've seen is this. I'm going to call it a false humility that is prevalent in most Christian culture. A false humility that blushes and deflects whenever someone sees greatness in you. Somebody comes to you and says, when you do this, it's wonderful. And you do this. Oh, no, it's all the Lord. It's all him. 
It's all the Lord. That sounds so holy, doesn't it? There's just one problem. That's not what God wants. God didn't make you in Eden and say, I'm king. Now you sit back and watch. He created us for partnership. He said, I'm king. Now come and rule with me. The story goes on and says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's a glory in our life that, according to the New Testament, is supposed to be maturing to ever-increasing levels so that, by the way, you and I uniquely live, and by the way, we uniquely love, that the whole world will see our good deeds and then glorify our Father in heaven because as a kingdom of priests, we've been made to reflect him, not deflect him. There's a greatness that has been made in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But here's the problem about glory. Glory is most difficult to recognize in yourself because you're not impressed by it. It's been with you all this time. It just seems natural. You think everybody sees the world the way you do. But I would tell you, somebody right now, you've been deflecting, and you need to hear this this morning. And I say it in love. That is a false humility that you don't need to carry anymore. God has called you to be great, and you and I need to pay attention to where others say we're great. Because that's meant to define and refine how his love pours out of you on planet We've got to stop pushing away greatness. There's a second problem, an opposite problem in Christian circles, and it's an obsession with greatness. Hearing Christians go in their life and talk about their reputation or their brand or their platform or their bank account, or their possessions, or their position, or their prestige. About how many followers, or likes, or shares. The endless comparison and the accompanying jealousy that comes with it. How am I advancing compared to how you're advancing? Followers of God running and hyper-extending their souls, climbing ladders that are costing us what really matters. Marriages. Time before the eyes of those that we've been called to love, our health, and true greatness. And as a society, this is what's happening. The more we chase that, the sicker and more irritable and more offended we become. And we're in a moment where as the collective people of God, we run a great risk of holding a narcissistic worldview that uses the language of God, but is actually consumed with how people see Treat and reward. Every abuse of power we ever see on planet Earth comes from self-exaltation. It uses power to subjugate, to suppress, and to oppress so that we can build our own empire. And I want to tell you right now, that is not greatness. That's just insecurity that's striving to become something through attempting to control the God and people we've been meant to offer compassion to. But we step back on the road with Jesus. The answer isn't then that we ignore greatness. No, he called us to be great. We just have to define it the same way he does. Back on the road with Jesus. Jesus defines greatness two ways. The first is childlike humility. Greatness is those who will let go of the delusion of control. Would anybody like to let go of the delusion of control this morning? That you are not in control. That you don't have all the answers. Why are no hands going up with me? You're like, no, I kind of like the control. Is anybody with me? Where you're like, you know what? It would be really reassuring if I'm not the one holding this whole story and my family and my bank account and my future together, that I could be invited to a place to let go of the delusion of control. 
He says, further than that, the greatness is the people who'd be willing to admit they don't have to have all the answers. See, childlike humility is greatness means greatness comes when we're content to grow at the feet of the great one all the days of our life. You want to know how to be great? Be content to grow at the feet of the great one. Jesus defines greatness a second way. He said that greatness is service. That the greatest of you will be the servant of all. And this is what I found. The ones who encounter God's love the greatest are the greatest at helping people encounter God's love. The ones who encounter God's love the greatest. The ones who know the most. I'm not controlling this story. I haven't figured it out. Man, I've really blown it, but he's really great. They're the ones that seem to be able to help others encounter his love the greatest. And so, whether you're at a place where you're deflecting or you're at a place where you're obsessing, I want to say this about greatness in our life. God placed greatness in you. So a great capacity for a great love to pour through you into a great legacy of lives encountering the great. I want to say that one more time, and I want you to let this sink in. That God placed greatness in you. So a great capacity for a great love could pour through you into a great legacy of lives encountering the great one. Psalm 139 says that you've been knit together by him in your mother's womb. Ephesians 2 says that you are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece, his poema, his poem. 1 Corinthians 2 says that eye hasn't seen, and ear hasn't heard, and mind hasn't conceived the incredible greatness God destined for you. So instead of deflecting greatness or obsessing over greatness, to seize it, it's time that we simply see it and steward it. You were made to be loved. You were made to be great. The third, this, you were created to be satisfied. And of all the points I could talk about this morning, I think this might be the one that the church has missed the most through the centuries. We have entire eras of our history where we viewed any type of pleasure as carnal and evil, and we believe that faithfulness to God is seen most in the word don't. Don't drink and don't dance and don't get caught up in wild romance. And don't cuss and don't chew and don't go with girls who do. But Jesus didn't come for don't. Jesus didn't come for how we couldn't live. He came so that we would. He said, I came that you would have life, life in all of its fullness, life with delirious joy and pleasure. And the only place in this story he ever sets up rules to protect our fullness. God came so that your soul would be satisfied. I want you to see these words in Psalm 145. It says, the eyes of all look to you and you, God, give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. So Jesus comes to a woman at a well. She's been married five times. She's now with a sixth man that is not her husband because her pursuit of love is failing. She's wanted to be respected in her community, but at this present moment, she's shunned. So she goes to the well alone, the hottest point of the day, to not run into anyone, because her pursuit of belonging failed. 
But what I find very interesting is Jesus didn't show up on the scene and say, that's what you get for wanting to be satisfied. That's what you get. That's what you get for having all these desires because you know one day, it's not about this day, you pray a prayer and one day you go to heaven and all of your desires are going to be there. That's not what he says. He doesn't say to the woman that your problem is that you want to be satisfied. He said your problem is you keep drinking from all the wrong sources. John chapter 4 says, Jesus answered and says, everyone who drinks this water of the well that she's at will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying in this life, whatever you and I try to dig out and build up, it won't satisfy us. Because the real hunger and thirst of our heart And praise God, he stands today ready to fill it. As we close, I want you to hear these words in Isaiah chapter 55. And I want you to hear it this morning. is an invitation from a God who presently adores you in your present place of maturity, whether you realize it or not. He says, come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why would you spend yourself on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? But listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me and listen that you might live. You were created to be loved. You were made to be great in a unique way that releases his glory on planet Earth. And you were destined to be satisfied. But you and I will only rest once we stop requiring it from something or someone else. We receive it from him. See, that's the difference between identity and idolatry. And I have felt this week as I've been walking that for someone, it is the time to step more firmly to your identity given today. I want to ask if you'd stand with me. And if you'd close your eyes for just a minute. If this is you this morning, if you're at the place that what I've been talking about, you're saying, that's me. I'm at the place where I want to be loved. I want to be seen. I want to be wanted. This trauma, this pain came before. This group right now isn't seeing me. Or these people in my family aren't seeing me. They don't see what kind of a friend or spouse or child a blessing I would be in their life and I keep getting so hurt and feeling so rejected or no that's me I'm the one that's hiding all the time there are things in my heart that I won't step out and I won't risk because I'm so worried about who might judge me you're seeing this morning that you want to be loved but you're drinking from the wrong well if that's you I'm going to ask you to come to the altar if it's you this morning you're looking and saying you know what there is a drive in my heart to be great. As much as I've known in my life, I've wanted to make the most of my days. I've wanted to emerge as a leader. But I work hours at my job that are not even required there. I'm not seeing my family. I'm not before them. I'm always pushing. Or maybe it's, I've got this goal and I keep saying to myself that once I do this, once I accomplish this, once people see me as this, then I'll be able to rest. And you're seeing this morning that you have a desire to be great, but you're drinking from the wrong well. I'm going to ask you to come. 
this morning you're coming. Saying, you know what, a lot of my life is filled with distraction. Places I'm trying to find just some fleeting pleasure or to numb some pain. Ways I'm trying to fill the noise. I'm living that life of quiet desperation and I don't want it. I know that there's more. That's you, I want you to come. So for those three groups this morning, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to step out from your seat right now. And I'm just gonna ask you to come to the altar. And what we're gonna do this morning, if you're at a place where you say, I'm holding on to something in my life that is keeping me from the fullness of joy. I'm holding on to something. I've got something in my life right now where I'm, I'm trying to be loved. I'm trying to get people to see me, to recognize me. I'm chasing the like and the share and the comment and the platform, and I don't want it anymore. Or I'm running myself ragged because I'm trying to become something that Jesus says I already am. Or man, I've just gotten so numb and I keep trying to fill it. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come. I want to give you just a second to come. We're going to do two things together this morning. We're going to empty that and leave it here, and we're going to watch God fill us up. So just one more call I'm going to give. If that's you, if that's you this morning, and I want to say to somebody that the thing in your life has been, what is everybody else going to think about me? Please don't let that keep you in your seat in this moment. God wants that thing to fall. I spent way too many days as the protector of my reputation. I got to tell you the glory that came when I got to be the recipient of my identity. There is a difference. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come. And with all of us right now, anybody hearing my voice, you here in person, you on our Facebook Live, those listening on our podcast, I'm going to ask that we do two things right now. First, that we would empty our hands that weight and that burden that you brought, that you would let go. That you'd let go of what you're holding, and I'm going to tell you as you do, we're going to declare that it's going to let go of its hold on you. You let go of what you're holding, and it's going to let go of its hold on you. And so right here, I want to ask you a few questions. The first is this, who are you looking to to tell you that you're loved and you're enough? Whose approval and attention are you chasing? And I want to tell you, you could be an adult and it could be your parent from your childhood and you're still living in this moment. That was my story. I was chasing the approval of a father that had died 20 years before. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose attention are you seeking? If that's you, you may need to come to the place to forgive them right now. You say, you haven't seen me as who I want to be in your life. You have no idea the worth and the beauty of the friendship I want to give you. You haven't seen what a great son or daughter or parent or spouse I've been to you. But listen, we're not going to make them the headline of your story anymore. I want you to say this before God. I want you to imagine that person. I want you to say this. It's not your job to define my worth anymore. It is not your job to define my worth. That belongs to my creator alone. And wherever I let you define my worth, I repent. I'm going to take that back now. I'm giving every moment that I look to you to define what was right or wrong about me. And I take it back and I give it to my creator because he's the only one that has the right to define me. Would you imagine yourself talking to that person right now and saying, I forgive you. 
for where you failed to recognize my worth. And Jesus, I give the wounds to you, all of them. And I really just want to know what you say about me. For the next 45 seconds, for every person hearing my voice, whether you're at the altar or not, we're going to ask a very simple question because we don't really need to hear what anybody else thinks about you. They'll be enamored one second, they'll exile you the next, but we're going to ask, Father, what do you say about me? Every person in the room, would you just ask him that right now? Hand on your heart, Father, what do you say about me? Father, what do you say about me? And I'm going to ask you just to listen. Holy Spirit, would you speak? He may speak in a word or a picture. He may take you back to an old memory and a scene. But we're just going to be still. Father, what do you say? Speak, Father. Your, your children are listening. We're going to listen here a minute, and I'm going to lead you through where we're going from here. Father, speak to us. right now, if that's been it, it's been attention and approval for you, would you just say quietly before the Lord, I am done chasing my reputation. I'm done protecting my reputation. I'm done with any of this nonsense about a brand or a platform. I'm a beloved child of God and I'm secure. I'm done hiding my heart and my story. I'm done hiding because I'm afraid of what people think about me. And I say, Father, you made me and you love me right now from my present place of maturity. So would you loose me to be me on planet Earth? And as you ask that, we're agreeing. I said right now, in Jesus' name, may you be loose to be you. There is nothing more beautiful on the planet than you, fully you, fully in love with Jesus. Somebody hear that. There is nothing more beautiful on the planet than you being fully who you were created to be, fully in love with Jesus. And you can have all of that right now. While you're here, I'm going to ask a second question. Where is it that you're exhausting yourself to become successful or to become great? Where is it you're, you're burning the candle at both ends? What is it that you're living for? What is it that you're obsessed with becoming or building? You think once I get this, once this is said about me, is it a position or pursuit of possessions or power or prestige? Right now, would you simply come and say, that thing I've been chasing will never satisfy me. So I give up the pursuit today. And I'm not telling you to go sit on your couch and just eat Cheetos. I'm saying you allow the Lord to define your greatness from this moment. And that'll fill you with more zeal and, and more drive than you've ever known in your life. But you won't be doing it for the applause of man. And you won't be doing it for the approval of the person looking in the mirror. You'll recognize that you already have it from your father. It's a very different thing. You won't be living for greatness. You'll be living from greatness. Somebody right now, would you just say, I let go of my obsession with success. 
My greatness is found in belonging to the Great One. And you, Jesus, are enough. Somebody tell him, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough for every need of my heart. I don't need to run. You're enough. I can rest. I speak over your heart. You can run and you can rest now. And Father, we ask right now that you would realign priorities and realign lives. That you would show your children how you've made them to shine you. I'm just going to ask one more question here. And then we're going to get to the exciting part of Jesus just filling us up. What is it that you're chasing to get satisfaction or to dull your pain? Is it entertainment? Are you finding your life in the endless scroll of going on social media about news that isn't even going to matter five minutes from now? The next TV series, the next thing I got to binge watch? Is it approval? Is it a relationship with food? Is it sex? What is it that you're seeking to deliver satisfaction to take your pain? Now, I want to be very clear in this moment. I'm not talking about a chronic area of pain in your life where you are actively seeking God's healing and he has sent you to a doctor or a counselor for some, for some medicine as part of your journey. We are body, soul, and spirit, and God shows up in a myriad of ways and timelines in our healing. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about are the false saviors and distractions and destructive patterns that show up in our, in our lives that move our eyes from God's best. And if that's you, you have something, you've been distracted, I just want you to say this, Jesus, I'm sorry for empowering that thing in my life. I'm sorry for giving it that voice. I'm sorry for building an appetite for this, and I'm gonna ask right now that you change my appetite. For somebody this morning, you need to say, I'm done empowering my circumstances. My circumstances won't define my joy anymore. I choose to be joyful today. Okay. Now, y'all, that's the heavy part. That's what we laid down. That's a weight. That's a burden. It's a lot, right? So we're going to lay it down. Right now, I just want you to imagine you're not going to describe it anymore. You're not going to figure it out anymore. You've been carrying it too long. I want you to imagine taking that whole weight and dumping it at Jesus' feet right now. And then we get to the exciting part. It's where we ask Jesus to fill us, and I want to make you this promise. Every place you come hungry and say, Jesus, I just want you, he fills you. Somebody hear me, you need the, the, the simplicity of the gospel today. Every place that you come empty, where you say, my answers aren't working. So let me ask, are you empty? Have you come to the place to go, okay, here it is. I've laid it out, I've told him, I'm not holding it. And I say, Jesus, I want you. He immediately comes and fills that place. So right now, we're gonna say this as a declaration together, every person in the room. Say, Jesus, I just want you. Now listen, this matters so much. It's the cry of our heart. I'm not going to try to move you for hype, but I'm going to try to move us because a lot of times we come in a moment like this and we say it's holy and I don't want to upset the moment. But this needs to be, there's a groaning as in childbirth within your heart that is longing. And for somebody, you got to release it this morning. And so from your place right now where you've been running, you've been going, you don't want it anymore, we're going to make this declaration. Say, Jesus, I just want you. Say it one more time. Jesus, 
I just want you. See, here's the good news. That's all it's ever going to take. He's coming right now into that place. And so, Father, right now, intercessors around the room, just be in agreement with me right now. Father, we are calling for every place something has been laid down, that you would come and fill it right now. Every place that you've spoken truth over your children, that you would come and seal it right now. Every place, no matter how many decades it's been there, no matter who's been there, that you would sever ties with people that they've looked for approval from. And as they forgave them and let them go, I say that what's holding them won't hold them anymore. Let go of them now in Jesus' name. And we call right now, Father, for your filling to come. As you're here, I want you to imagine his smile and his delight in you right now. I want you to receive his mercy that he says is new every single morning. It's a new morning. It's a new day. Receive a new mercy. I want you to receive his grace that knows no ends to pour over you. And I want you to receive the delight of his joy. Would you just say right now, Jesus, I'm not leaving this place heavy. I'm not my own savior. I can't figure it out. So as I've come to you and as I've emptied myself, here I am sitting at your feet. And guess what? Greatness is when you sit at the feet of the great one. For some of you at the altar, you need to hear. A lot of times we walk to the altar with our head down. This is your moment of greatest greatness. Because as you say in Jesus, I just want you. Father, we come to you right now asking for you, no substitution, no addition, no audible. We just want you. We call for you to heal every place that we've wanted to be loved and great and satisfied and it hasn't.